We Wear the Ring, Episode 2, The Dukes Make History. podcast about Duquesne sports and all of the people who love them. This is Dave here. Joining me today is, as he always is, joining me, I suppose, uh, my co-host Steve. Steve, happy belated Thanksgiving now. How was it? Was everything good? It was delicious, as always. For, for us, Thanksgiving, well, for one, two, us, yes, delicious. Uh, Thanksgiving, the best part, of course, is the leftovers. So uh, we're, we're finally out of, like, the bulk of it. So I can't have, like, imitation Thanksgivings uh, anymore as of yesterday dinner. That was the last one. You know, I, I think I got ripped off a little this year. I, I don't think I ended up coming home with anything now that I think uh, about see, it. Yeah. So. Our trick was to host our okay. family this time so uh oh yeah w- yes yeah the, the we host had, like, is always the big winner i mean like mm-hmm. let's be honest yeah for sure well it was our first time doing anything like that so uh usually we're going to family but now with a grand with the grandchild here it's like hey come to us uh, yeah and you guys are gonna have pie for breakfast for like the next two weeks i love apple pie so portman's farm uh in like south fayette that's where we get our pies from. So uh, Pittsburgher is Portman's Farm. Excellent, excellent pies. I strongly recommend. It's and neat yes, that they sponsor the show now, too. Now, so. Apparently, yeah, yeah. If anybody has a connection there, please reach out. <laughs> Might work out. Uh, so we are going to run through our news items first, which, I mean, there's actually a lot to talk about there. And then we'll move into our feature topic, which is, of course, uh, the Duke's win against Towson. How could it not be that? Uh, so the first topic would be women's basketball. Last week we said they need to right the ship against St. Francis, find some rhythm, get in a groove. It was really nice to see them blow out a team. Finally, they had a 20-point win. I don't think it was maybe as clean as we would like, but I think a lot of that had more to do with St. Francis's physicality, uh, especially their fouls. I think I, I don't think they had a player without a foul. They probably had one. Let's look at the stats now. But uh, the majority of their team ended up with fouls, most of them two or three um yeah one yeah everybody had fouls i mean and and it's nice not only for them to go in control the game generate those fouls but at the same time they they did it on the road they went went to loretto and and you know took it to the house basically against a team that's usually at least functional you know what i mean i don't recall saint francis usually being um particularly good but i mean i don't remember them being very bad either so to beat them in their house by 20 points I, I, after sort of struggling to get any rhythm early in the season i have to feel really good about that if i recall correctly the just the history of it i think you're right in fact in general saint francis women's basketball has been the highlight of that athletic department despite their struggles in other areas so i think that's more than fair to say there were definitely a few things that i loved Uh, just nine turnovers for the dukes you have to love that ball control compared to 21 for the red flash yeah and on top of that it seemed like amoroso and voinovich they also started to get things going on their on their end with the offense i mean they were both they both had very very high volume offensive games in the sense that they both took quite a few shots but at least they were putting up some points they were finishing and they need those two to lead the way 
For sure. When in fact, of course, we end with four different Dukes in double figures. Uh, Amanda Kalen was very close to that as well. Uh, I mean, I think we had a pretty balanced performance from the ladies all around. Um, everybody who got double-digit minutes did something pretty darn useful. Um, unfortunately, Nianaho did foul out, so I guess that's not the greatest thing in the world. But nonetheless, uh, a pretty balanced performance all around for the ladies. Yeah, and it, it wasn't even just like they were four people in double figures. You know, there were quite a few that were just on the fringe of that. They could have easily put, you know, six in double figures tonight if they would have mm -hmm. just, you know, tried to stack the deck. But I don't think that's really the idea uh, when it comes to any kind of basketball strategy, um, <laughs> unless you're playing video games, you know, so. A true story. One time, uh, a friend of mine and I were playing Madden 92, and we wanted to see how badly. So first, I wanted to run up the score, and he wanted to get, like, the most negative yardage possible. So it obviously worked out very well uh, to have those strategies running together. So I think, like, I managed to score 100 points in the time allotted, and he got, like, negative 500 yards. Oh, that's pretty, uh, that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's extremes right there. But that's also yeah, Sega a Genesis. wonderfully symbiotic Ooh. relationship that the two of you have. So. <laughs> what can I say? He was the best man at my wedding, so what do you want? Um, <laughs> in any case, uh, I would also say a lot of discipline to it. I mean, I, I don't think there were great assist numbers across the team. And if I look at the stats, yeah, that bears it out. I mean, the most assists anybody had were three, but at the same time, St. Francis like fouled a ton. I think, let's see here. Yeah. 28 total team fouls on that. I mean, it's hard to get assists when you're getting swatted at going up to the hoop, but the, you know, it's not going to fall. Yeah, no question. And I mean, I, I think that it's, uh, you know, you don't get assists for sending somebody to the free throw line. I actually had somebody ask me that question today at the men's game. Um, oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's just good good to have them rolling in the right direction again. Good to see them control the game. They need to control games like this if they're going to hit their ceiling this year. And hopefully this is just sort of the sign of things to come. Definitely, uh, you got to love 82 percent from the free throw line by the way uh regardless of that they need to continue to show, show this kind of cohesion against kent state and after that there's a pretty crucial stretch of the non-conference coming up we got Pitt in there penn state etc so that's going to be a, a big time proving ground time after this early part of the season and some of the uh maybe a little bit of faltering stumbling uh but nothing as we said nothing has been lost yet uh, plenty of time to make things happen and make some noise with the uh rivalry opponents coming up so uh, over the past week, men's basketball did, in fact, lose to Notre Dame. Uh, we're sick of moral victories. Steve, you alluded to this in your post game, but I don't feel too bad about this one. I, I think the Dukes were in it the whole time. To me, it felt like the turning point was after Hughes fouled out. That was what I identified. And as soon as it happened, I kind of said, oh, I don't know now. And uh, that's kind of where it, where, it, where it did start to go downhill. Yeah, and I can't remember his name. I, I should have put it in my notes, but, you know, their their big guy was just running amok, you know, the last, you know, what, 10 minutes of the game. Um, I mean, I think he went to the free throw line, like, five times, made all five of them. Um, you know, it, it, he just took over. You know, I, I mean, that's really kind of what it comes down to. And Duquesne didn't have an answer. There's no way around that. Um, you know, so kudos to them for 
just absolutely taking advantage of a tough situation for Duquesne. Mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, I got to say, give it to you, Steve. You were absolutely right. Uh, Tavian Dunmartin, there was your, uh, your standout player right there. Uh, he was fantastic. I, I would say uh, definitely a stat leader for the Dukes with 14 points. Um, he was, he was pretty solid. Yeah. He, I mean, like, his, like we were saying before, you know, it just seems like somebody new every night is just stepping up and really playing a great game. Uh, it just happened to be his turn. It's going to be, you know, pretty much everybody in this roster, I think, is going to have one of those nights where they just sort of surprise or they outperform maybe their normal uh, and and really help this team win games. And, and obviously, he didn't get them quite over the hump. I, I think there were some other things that were lacking in that game and maybe some people that didn't perform as well as they could have. But at the same time, they were in it. They really had a great shot down the stretch. Um disappointed they didn't win but at the same time you know again I, it was the toughest game of the season I was not expecting anything from it whatsoever I think that if you told me hey uh the you know the Dukes are going to be four and one after their first five games with a with this roster with the the youth the new players trying to mesh everybody together I would have said great I'll take it I, I yeah, think there's 100 I think there's a lot 100%. of ways the Dukes could have been three and two or maybe two and three at this point and uh and they're not they're in a good position getting ready to go into the pit game. Uh, but before we talk about that, we got to, of course, transition into the win today versus UMass Lowell. Uh, I, I see, I've seen some comments, and it certainly felt this way watching the game, about the offensive rebounding, or the, mostly the opportunities the Dukes were giving up. Steve, you were there today. I was just watching. It's kind of bouncing between this and the women's game uh, back and forth. But uh, you, you were there today. What what would you say about the offensive rebounding issues, the the stuff the Dukes are giving up? Too many? I mean, so it feels like it's too many. Every single game, you know, it feels like they're getting killed on the glass. Um, and then you look at the box score, and by the end of the game, everything sort of evens itself out. I, I think the key is is that they're getting off to bad starts, and they're making poor first impressions in the defensive rebounding department. So, you know, that first five minutes of the game, it just seems like they're just lost. Um, and then eventually they tighten it up and, you know, uh, but at the same time, that bad taste is still left and, you know, it doesn't go away. So you're still thinking about those rebounds. So every rebound, offensive rebound that they allow after that point, they're going to allow some, I mean, there's just no way around that. But every offensive rebound that they allow after that point is just going to leave that bad taste in your mouth. So I do think they're a decent rebounding team. But at the same time, like I said, they bunch them together and they bunch them together at the beginning of games. So I think it makes them look a lot worse than they actually are. I think that's a fair way to put it because, again, I didn't get to watch the whole thing straight through flipping back and forth as I was. But to see at the end, OK, well, they out rebounded them. Um, what were the numbers here? Uh, 35 to something, 33. So not like great shakes there, but they were relatively even um, on rebounding throughout. And Dukes actually did a little bit better defensive rebounding. So I, I, I don't know. It's hard to look at that because this is a taller Duquesne team than we've had before. But I think some of the forwards are just going to need to get a little bit more experience before we can expect that to really take hold. There's having height, but then there's having experienced height. Sure, positioning is, you know, size is a huge part of the rebounding game, but positioning and, and you know, just anticipation, uh, they come with experience, and, you know, our guys don't have a ton of that right now. 
Uh, well, absolutely. And I think as that experience comes, we'll also start to see some of those foul numbers come down. You know, we mentioned Hughes fouling out the last game. Uh, and that's Michael, of course. Uh, Amari Kelly had four fouls today. And I, I thought he gave some, he, he made a decent amount out of his 10 minutes. I mean, didn't get a lot of points, but three blocks, a steal, um, six rebounds to, yeah. to boot there as well. You know, I, I think as they learn better positioning uh, and get that sort of experience on that side we're also going to start to see those fouls come back a little bit which will which will help too yeah i want to say that looking at the box score he also led the team in terms of plus minus i I think he was they were like plus 11 when he was on the floor I, i could be completely wrong on that but that's just something that you that triggered in my brain as you were talking there <laughs> that really stood out. So, but yeah, I, I thought he had an excellent ten minutes. I mean, I, I wish he would have been playing a little bit more under control, but you know, I'm not going to complain too much. He's literally the third center right now. So if they can get ten good minutes out of the third center, I, he can foul. He can, you know, foul ten times. I guess he can't foul ten times, <laughs> but you know, I, he can. He could foul out in ten minutes. If he's given good a good ten minutes as that third guy in that position, great. <laughs> he did his job as far as I'm concerned. Well, I suppose, but as long as they're not and ones that he's giving up. Uh, sure. But speaking of playing under control, I think the last thing we got to talk about here is turnovers. You know, uh, Duquesne put up uh, 17 turnovers today. Now that's one thing when your opponent puts up like 23 or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, now, of course, against Notre Dame, they put up 16, but Notre Dame only had nine. So. Um, Duke's made a lot out of their turnovers today too. I think they had something like, oh, what was it like, thirty-one point? Yeah, thirty-one points off of turnovers today, which is fantastic. But they need to cut their own turnovers down. Uh, once again, I think still with some of the experience, there were a couple of passes that I think, you know, a little more time together they would have known to expect it there. I think of uh, one in particular on a breakaway, but you know that's got to get cut down. It, there were a lot of offensive fouls today, too. I mm-hmm. thought that was a significant number. Um, but, yeah, they were plus 20 as far as points off of turnovers go. Um, so even though they did turn it over a lot, they got back and defended. Uh, a lot of that was because the turnovers weren't in the flow of the game. Uh, the UMass uh, Lowell had 17 turnovers, like you're saying, but only six of them were steals. Um, so it means a lot of them were going out of bounds. That means that, you know, again, a lot of them were um, – you know, offensive fouls. So it wasn't like they were taking them and being able to break up court with them. So I guess if there's one advantage, that's kind of it. But, it, you know, it's still, it still, it evened out the possessions way too much today. It, it's really one of two things that I feel like prevented a complete blowout. If the Dukes uh, cut down to 12 turnovers, you know, that's all of a sudden, you know, it's a much different scoreline at the end. If the Refs don't decide to call, you know, ticky-tack things and send them to the the free throw line, you know, for, uh, you know, for any foul from the 11-minute mark on um, in the second half. I mean, that's, uh, you know, again, they got a lot of their points at the line in the second half. So um, as far as the, uh, Duquesne, or the, the Dukes turnovers, um, you know, you, again, you mentioned that they had 23. 15 of those were on steals. Yeah, that I, was I amazing. Yeah, I, I love the fact that they were pushing and and getting into passing lanes. I also love the fact that those turnovers, uh, not all, not a lot of them were in the the from the press. A lot of them were generated out of the half court offense, or excuse me, half court defense. Um, I mean, there were a couple of the TDM was like you know, uh, 
the the opponent is the guy he was defending. He had the ball, and now all of a sudden TDM did, like just out of nowhere. But um, you know, by and large, a lot of those were half courts. Um, but you know, I, I, at the end of the day, you know, you can be a little bit flexible. It was a very up tempo game today, which is going to contribute to some additional turnovers. Um, agree with you though, one hundred percent. They do need to fix that. It is those unforced errors, as you mentioned. Would be remiss, though, if I did not mention, gosh, Eric Williams, just phenomenal game. The stat line tells a lot of the story there. But, boy, he just played with a lot of heart today. Uh, Good shot selection, a couple of very timely threes, and, of course, those steals just enabling the offense. Mm Got to love that. And once again, Sincere with nine assists. My gosh, Mm -hmm. he's an assist and and a bucket away from a double-double that way. I mean, just love it, and I can't wait to see – What's next, which would be the city game. So we yeah. got to do a little preview. Is Pitt six and zero start surprising to you, Steve? Given um, the new coach, but also the cupcakes, I don't know. I didn't. I wouldn't have expected them to be six and one at or six and zero at this point. Um, I I would have expected them to tank to at least one of those schools. I mean, three of the teams that were on their schedule so far have been ranked lower than UMass and Lowell. So um, you're going to put that in the win column. There's one team that's pretty comparable that was on the schedule for them as well. So there's four teams that, I mean, you almost automatically are going to put those in the win column for Pitt, even in a down year. Um, you know, the, the other two were a little bit tougher. Troy was uh, on par with UIC in terms of their, where they're roughly ranked in terms of in Ken Palm, mm-hmm. uh, Ken Palm's rankings. Um, St. Louis is the surprise. Um, yeah, that really shocked me. Yeah, I mean, margin was just two points, but a win's a win. My gosh. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think Pitt's not going to look back on it. I don't know if it's really indicative of the kind of team that they are. I think people are overrating St. Louis, though, too. They were picked to win the Atlantic 10 before the season started. I, they've kind of been they've been winning, but they've been struggling. I, I haven't necessarily seen them as being a particularly impressive team. I think they did knock off Seton Hill, or excuse me, Seton Hall. I'm, I'm sorry, I've got Greensburg on the brain. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know how good they actually are. Again, I've been sort of an A-10 detractor, and I think even, you know, the biggest issue with the league this year um, is that those top-end teams just aren't very good. And even the the team that's going to be picked to win this league is just not a great team this year, you know? And that's part of the reason why I think it's going to be a one-bid league. That is a conversation, I think, for another day, but I don't... Point being, I don't think that even the best team in the Atlantic 10 is a team that a marginal middling uh, pit is not going to be able to beat. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Long haul, we're probably going to have a better idea of what that team is, what that pit team is after their game against number 20 Iowa on Tuesday uh, in a Big Ten ACC Challenge matchup. Uh, we'll kind of see if they are as good as their 6-0 record would suggest. Of course, we know the status of Pitt being in this area. We know what's actually happening there. We know the kind of teams that they've scheduled. So uh, I, I expect them to be punished pretty heavily on Tuesday night. But, hey, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't expect them to come away with a win there. That's for sure. If they do, great. <laughs> that sets up Duquesne as a trap as far as I'm concerned. 
So I'd almost rather them be riding high than maybe be refocused after the first their first loss. Hopefully it's such a tremendous beatdown that they're demoralized coming into the city game and they just can't they just can't get it together. So I do think they're due to lay an egg, but um, you know, hopefully they maybe they'll play Iowa tough and then they'll lay that egg in the city game on Friday. Well, frankly, I'm kind of with your original thought there. I would I kind of would rather that every single team that Duquesne plays wins every single game they play except for when they play against Duquesne, <laughs> and I, that would be fine. So I, it I would helps not to strengthen the schedule <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, what expectations do you have then for the city game? I think it'll be tight, but I think I think Duquesne's going to come out ahead. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I don't think Vegas will favor Duquesne no. heading into this one, but I think for the first time, I at least think they're the favorites. Uh, you know, I you always, every year with you end up with that sort of like hopeful anticipation for this game, um, but you, in the back of your mind, you realize that it's a long shot for them to win. I actually think um, it's a slightly better than a coin flip for the Dukes right now. Especially considering, I think we've seen that that team, the, the Duquesne team, has come together a lot more fluidly than I think we expected to by now. Um, I just kind of think they're the better team. I think that they have some of the better components. Uh, I don't know if Pitt has an Eric Williams Jr. right now. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't see them. I don't see the betting line being favoring the Dukes, but I, in my opinion, they're you know, they're, they're the team that to beat this year. The Duquesne football Dukes have had a playoff berth before, just once, and it unfortunately ended in disappointment. They quitted themselves well against William and Mary that season, but it just wasn't to be. After a few years of being on the wrong side of the NEC championship share, the Dukes made it again this year and won against Towson in a rainy game this past Saturday, the first program playoff win against the Towson Tigers. So I think let's put this in perspective. Can we call this, Steve, the best year since the glory days nearly 80 years ago with uh, the Orange Bowl and so forth? Yeah, I don't think that's unfair at all. I mean, you know, this is the biggest accomplishment that they've had. I mean, you know, credit to the teams that played in the crappy Mac back in the day. But the reality of it is that's a different level of college basketball or college football. Uh, um, a very different you know, level of basketball. Very cool. Yeah, they were a terrible <laughs> basketball team. Terrible basketball team. Um, it's a different level of college football. Um, you know, it's it's a huge step up. It's scholarship ball. You know, these teams are that that they're playing now are borderline teams for, you know, the, the FCS um, or excuse me, the FBS. I'm just stumbling all over myself. Don't take this out, you know. Let's let's punish me, punish me, and, and make me look terrible for for stumbling all over my words. Right, you will here. be but, so punished. Okay, excellent. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, like I said, you know, I, these are the teams that are going to go in and potentially upset FBS schools. I, I mean, I, what can you say though? Uh, huge odds against them. Kept it tight in the first half. Managed to just, you know basically take the game over in the second really no other way to describe it well that's really what they did I, I mean it would be easy to say 
okay, well, how, how we asked the question last time, how does Duquesne control a talented quarterback? Well, apparently the rain. But let's be honest, I mean, Towson had a pretty balanced offense, and their quarterback is one who can scramble. He can do a lot of damage with his feet. That's a big way that he differs from his older brother uh, with the Ravens. So he's supposed to be able to scramble. He couldn't really do that either. Duquesne had to deal with the conditions as well. Um, Duquesne's run attack was clearly able to go toe-to-toe, and in fact, better than that while they uh, played this game. I mean, that and that that's the difference. Yeah, and as you pointed out last week, the NEC teams tend to go to the ground anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the, that, Duquesne was much more prepared to face what Townsend was going to need to do in order to win. And that was basically gritted out and grinded out on the ground. And, you know, kudos to them. I mean, you know, they they turned up and ended up being the tougher team on a pretty, you know, pretty stereotypical late season game. The only difference is, is it was rain and not snow. Yeah, well, being from Pittsburgh, Steve, I don't think anybody, I mean, I don't think anybody can play in Pittsburgh and be a stranger to rain with the uh, clouds and everything else that we get here. Uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, I, I do want to give some big credit to Towson. Every punt that Toomey made, oh my gosh, seems like an excellent punter. He pinned the Dukes back a couple of different times. Now, was, there was this one play where, uh, and I don't know if you saw it, he punted the ball, and the Duke game player was probably a little too close to it as it was rolling. So a Towson player tried to shove him so that the Duquesne player would touch the ball and Towson could try and take it. Now, it ended up not working, but it set out a sequence of like several minutes where everybody was kind of standing around like, well, what do we do now? Jasir Jordan was just distraught. I mean, it was pretty obvious. Uh, but l- luckily, that little thing did not end up, you know, going the wrong way. But th- th- it looked dangerous at the moment. But it, man, he, I mean, he had this rugby style. They pointed it out many, 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 many times on the broadcast. Every time he touched the ball, you know, rugby, rugby kick. But wow, I mean, he just got these excellent, excellent rolls. They were very, very difficult to field. Um, I mean, you know, at, let's hear eight punts, no returns. Yeah, punters are a weird six commodity. Punts, six punts. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Punny, punters are just a weird commodity um, when it comes to uh, scouting and things like that. You know, um, the best ones in the country, they take, they, they end up following weird paths. And truth be told, they're not scouted the same way that, you know, the uh, other positions are. So, I mean, it's not all that crazy to think of somebody slipping through the cracks that's excellent and ending up at uh, an FCS school. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, there were a few different plays that I thought were going to be way more significant than they ended up being. Uh, for example, um, Parr through this excellent pass to Crawford in the driving rain. Great, great, great pass. I mean, through coverage and everything. And uh, I mean, it ended up the drive fizzled out from there. But my gosh, it was a fantastic play. And just to make that pass, just to make that throw it all in the rain, um, I mean, he, for for everything else, I mean, I, I, you can't really say that either of them were accurate. The conditions didn't favor that. But uh, neither Parr nor Flacco actually ended up throwing an interception, which is pretty amazing. Uh, what I was a little bit surprised that we didn't see on either side, especially when it was clear that um, that Towson was not going to be able to get their ground game going as well as Duquesne's, why we didn't see a few more little short screen passes. You can use Uh your passing game like a running game, especially 
in poor conditions like this uh, without losing too much. And I was kind of surprised we didn't see them go that way. Flacco finished just 10 of 33. Yeah, especially considering Duquesne seemed to be putting quite a bit of pressure on the quarterback. You know, I a lot of sacks, you know, a lot of people getting through, uh, especially in the first half. Um, so, yeah, why not set up a screen, you know, turn their aggression against them, you know. But good for us. They didn't manage to, uh, to, to figure out that strategy. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, I, I will tell you that it's one thing where – me, the armchair coach, having absolutely really no knowledge or credibility in any way, shape, or form when it comes to football strategizing. I, I feel like there are many, many times when I see that as a possibility that it feels like it would work. Like, clearly your run game isn't working, and you're having trouble passing along. Why not do this? And teams just don't do it. And I, I, I don't totally understand it. There's got to be a good reason why, and someday somebody will tell me. Maybe, maybe they just have bad hands for the short passes. I don't know, but... Yeah. It could be something like that. It could just be that it's not something in their playbook. It's maybe it's just not, you know, I, I would think that that's a trick that's up everybody's sleeve, but you know, even if the, you know, even if the, 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 the running back isn't really as strong out of the backfield, you know, set something up with uh with a bubble screen to your wide receivers, you know, um, mm -hmm. I mean, granted that doesn't, that's a little slower developing. So you don't get to take as much advantage of the blitzers uh, in that situation. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't, that I agree with you though. I mean, you, you would think that'd be an easy one, but that's the only thing that I can think of is that it's just not part of the repertoire. I, that's, that's the only thing I could figure. Now the Dukes will travel to South Dakota state university this coming Saturday for their next game, which is I mean, phenomenal. Uh, South Dakota State, of course, is in the uh, Mo Valley Football Conference. They finished second in the conference uh, to North Dakota State, who's perennially a contender for the uh, for the uh, the championship. I mean, North Dakota has won tons and tons and tons. There's been thoughts with that team in particular. You know, why not? You know, move up to Division One, uh, F or, you know, not to Division One, but of course FBS. Uh, I don't think they feel like they can really sustain what they're doing here at FBS at that level, though, of course, they have upset their share of FBS opponents in the past uh, during their non-conference slate. Uh, so South Dakota finishes second in that league, losing to North Dakota State and a kind of a surprising loss to uh, Northern Iowa, who finishes the year just seven and five. But uh, quality teams up and down the Missouri Valley yeah, I agree uh, with you 100%. It's uh, an excellent, excellent conference. It has a ton of depth. It's it's sometimes surprising. You know, Youngstown State hasn't been able to really, really compete in there for a few years. And, uh, you know, of course, Dukes have played them a few times and usually ended up on the wrong side of the result. But something feels different about this team. I'm not going to say that sure. they can go into South Dakota State and, and do something, you know, really, really surprising. But I don't think... It's completely out of the question here. I mean, this is a special, this is obviously a special team this year. Yeah, I mean, and anything can happen, and it does seem like things are coming their way. I mean, I would say that, you know, argue, arguably their last two games were the two biggest wins in the program history, or, you know, arguably the two biggest. I'd certainly in two of the top three in since the reboot, of course, not necessarily right, right. going way back in the day, but since the reboot so i mean 
you know, who knows? Anything can happen. I mean, am I going to, you know, put money on an even, you know, win, <laughs> you know, in no, probably not. But I mean, you know, crazier things have happened, I guess. Um, you know, and uh, it'd be a heck of a trip, you know. I mean, what what football player, you know, as they're growing up, doesn't dream of going to South Dakota to play a football game? I mean, that's <laughs> this is dreams come true. Forget that they went to Hawaii this year. They're going to South Dakota. Our Dukes are going to South Dakota. Oh, boy. So Hey, you know what? If you're telling me that we're going there because we won our first playoff yeah. game, I will take it I think, anytime. I think everybody's very, very happy. And I, I'm sure the state of South Dakota is absolutely wonderful. So I've not got been there myself. Um, this message has been brought to you by South Dakota. So we've got two, two sponsors today. That's excellent. South Dakota. So, at least we're South not Dakota. north. That's, that's true. Yeah. So, five um, degrees warmer. Well, you know, um, though, you bring up the Hawaii trip, and I, I think in general, I mean, the Dukes played two FBS-level teams this year, and while obviously they didn't do great, they didn't win, they they were, I mean, they performed well enough. I mean, they got some respect, especially when they went to Hawaii. I, I think that that really helped get them, like, in the zone to play sure. at this level. Now, of course, you start the conference with that fluky game against Bryant, but nonetheless, uh, I, I think perhaps that kind of helped toughen them up and show them what they would have to do and I think that's what you hope for when you're taking any of those buy games obviously it's money for the program and that's fantastic but you also want to get that uh, you, you also want to get that good experience out of there and that's certainly something that per, you know perhaps Coach Schmidt was able to make that happen and he was co-coach of the year in the NEC sure. another another co-thing in the NEC out of seven teams I think Schmidt deserves coach of the year uh, for this effort but nonetheless um, very very happy with everything that's happening around that program. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. I, and I mean, I, I, you might follow these things a little bit closely. Is it possible that South Dakota state is the toughest team that they've, that's appeared on their schedule, even though they did go against two FBS teams this year? Boy, that would be a hard one to say. Um, South Dakota, maybe, I mean, they did finish number two and, Mo Valley, which tends to be able to upset FBS teams. Um, I mean, if it was North Dakota, I would say no doubt. Sure. South Dakota is definitely up there. They may be close. Um, this is going to be a challenge. Their, their defense especially is just excellent. I mean, they can they can pack on the points. Don't get me wrong. Sure. I think they average something like 45 or something per game. But their defense, I mean, opponents just don't score on South Dakota State. I mean, it's it just doesn't really happen. So it's going to be a challenge for many, many different reasons. Um, that said, they still do give up. I want to say it's something short of 200, like 160, 170 rushing yards per game. So that's uh -huh. kind of in the Duke's wheelhouse. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that could be something they could exploit, potentially. Who knows? Uh, so regardless, we will be looking forward to seeing that happen this Saturday. Can't wait. Break out the Duke's gear. I know there's some watch parties happening around the Pittsburgh area, some people trying to get stuff together at the Red Ring. So check out, uh, you know, the message board over at Board Host, uh, where a lot of Duquesne fans seem to congregate and see what's there. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to make it to something, but I'll have my own private watch party here with my family. So, uh, Steve, I guess the only the last thing to say about the football team is that we won't have uh, Kellen Taylor on the hardwood just yet. No, but um, 
thankfully, as we were talking about earlier, um, Kelly looked great today. So, I mean, if he can consistently give them 10 minutes, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to miss him. Keep playing. Um, you know, you know, if, if Kelly's doing his, his job, Taylor, uh, you know, just, just keep winning football games. That's all I care about. So no question. Of course, Taylor did have a good, uh, reception for 27 yards. I mean, you'll look at that one reception, big deal, but when you're talking out of six total in a rainy, rainy game, not going to complain about that. So uh, hopefully the football team will keep rolling. If all goes well, uh, the, the hardcourt Dukes won't have Kellen Taylor for several weeks. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We know that you could spend your time in many, many ways. We appreciate that you're choosing to spend some of it with us. Uh, lots to cheer on happening this week. We got the pit game. We got uh, you know, women going against Kent State. We have, of course, the big football playoff game. So check it all out. We'll be coming to you again next Tuesday with another show. Until then, go Dukes. Oh, 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 o